if you can't just sit there silently with your thoughts, if you can't do that without grabbing for your phone and just aimlessly scrolling, that's a sign of addiction. Wisdom is found, I find, in the more silent moments of life. Be still and know that he is God. You are listening to the season finale of season two of If That Makes Sense, with more episodes coming this spring. I'm Tim, and on this episode, you'll hear regular co-host Mike and I talking with a special guest about our digital media diet. There's no doubt that today we're consuming more information and entertainment content than ever before. The digital media spread is laid out, and let's be honest, it's a veritable all-you-can-eat buffet. As Christians, we can't afford to approach this area uncritically. Today we'll be looking at our digital media intake and what wisdom brings to the table, and to help us do just that, we've invited special guest Brett McCracken. Brett is one of those authors that makes me say yes out loud whenever I'm reading him. I love this guy's brain. Brett writes articles extensively on all things arts and culture, which he does over at the online publication, The Gospel Coalition, where he serves as a senior editor and as director of communications. Brett is the author of books like Uncomfortable, The Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community, Hipster Christianity, When Church and Cool Collide, and most relevant to today's conversation, The Wisdom Pyramid, Feeding Your Soul in a post-truth world. Let's listen in on our conversation with Brett McCracken. Brett, thank you so much for joining us. Like I said, it's 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 really super exciting to have you here. Um, really exciting to have you on the podcast. Mike gets the credit for, for this happening. At the beginning of planning out our second season of If That Makes Sense, Mike said, I just finished this book called The Wisdom Pyramid. And... Um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. One, you should read it, and and two, we should talk to this guy. As I read the book, I was getting more and more excited for this conversation because I was realizing, wow, this this book really answers everything. I hope we can talk about and and so much more. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for being willing to participate with us here on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So even though we're not exactly doing you know a book review of the Wisdom Pyramid, like I mentioned that's going to come into play so much with what we are talking about today as we look at the digital media environment that we live in. We're absorbing stories at a greater rate than we ever have before, where we have more stories to choose from than ever before. And in so many different fashions, we can get them in our ears while we're washing dishes, driving the car. We can get them before our eyes every night on Netflix, Hulu, and the rest. It's, it's everywhere, specifically the digital media. And um, like I said, the wisdom pyramid comes into play with all of that. So if, if you wouldn't mind at the outset here, could you just give us a, a brief description of what the wisdom pyramid is? Yeah, sure. So the wisdom pyramid is, uh, the subtitle of the book is feeding your soul in a post-truth world. So the, the kind of metaphor that the book is building on is kind of like, just like physical eating constitutes our health for good or for ill, you know, your diet of physical food will make you either physically healthy or physically sick, depending on kind of the makeup of your food diet. I'm arguing in the wisdom pyramid that the same concept is true with the state of our soul, our spiritual health, our wisdom. It depends in large part on our intakes of ideas and media and kind of information. So, In the same way that we need to pay attention to what we're eating physically, if we want to be physically healthy, we need to pay attention to what 
we are taking in in terms of the ideas and the knowledge and the, the voices out there. Because um, a lot of us, if we're honest, have very imbalanced diets these days of media, and it's making us sick and it's making us spiritually unhealthy and unwise. So the wisdom pyramid, I'm, I'm literally like ripping off the food pyramid, the visual aid of that, and basically creating a suggested kind of balanced diet of kind of knowledge groups instead of food groups that might be conducive to, to wisdom and, and spiritual health. I love that you're using the, the good old fashioned pyramid model there too. The one that you can actually tell how things are broken up because it's aligned right. in a way that the human eye can see the difference. <laughs> yes. Like this new food pyramid strata thing that I don't think ever really caught on. Yeah. Yeah. I think the glory days of the food pyramid were like in the nineties or something <laughs> when I was like a kid. Yeah. Back when gluten was allowed to be the basis of our nutrition. Right. I don't think I don't think the bread group is the foundation anymore. <laughs> Back in the day it was. So with, with digital media and and the cover of your book shows this in a way that is really eye-catching. It, it's just an illustration of the wisdom pyramid. Mm -hmm. And I know you've gotten a lot of feedback on how helpful just that image is. A little cell phone right at the top there, the pyramid. I feel yeah. like a lot of our conversation today, maybe not all of it, but a lot of it is 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 focusing on that cap of the pyramid. Yeah. That that's where we get our digital content. Whether it's a phone literally or or just digital content in general. So uh, the the first question I'd be looking to to pose to you mm -hmm. today is how can we tell when we've got an unhealthy amount of digital media going on in our mental diet. I put the internet and social media in the very top of the pyramid, meaning the least valuable for your wisdom, the most potentially hazardous. So just like in the food pyramid, the top of the pyramid was like fats, oils, and sweets. And, and kind of the guidance is use it sparingly. Um, that's, that's where I put the internet and social media. Like, we need to use it sparingly. Otherwise we are going to become sick. Just like you become sick if you only eat, you know, cookies and cake and ice cream, you know, as, as the foundation of your diet. And I think when most people look at the graphic of the wisdom pyramid, like their kind of gut reaction when they see it is like, oh man, I've actually flipped this. Like the, the internet and social media actually, if I'm honest, it kind of occupies the foundation of my diet. It's the, it's the place that I look most of the time all day. That's where I get my sources. That's where I get my content. And I'm trying to argue that that is the recipe for unhealth. That is a recipe for foolishness because we're basically building our diet on junk food, you know, and not that there's never anything nutritious on the internet. I think there can be, but by and large, in my experience, so much of what we consume, you know, on our phones when we're just like scrolling through it, it's just like the, it's the idea equivalent of a buffet of junk food or like fast food, right? But I think in terms of warning signs, like to your question, like what, how can we tell when we, when our diet is out of whack or when, when our intakes are causing us to be, you know, potentially sick? One, one that I think about a lot is just kind of when you feel yourself um, perpetually anxious or perpetually angry and, wow. and you don't know why, like there's, there's nothing obvious 
around you in your physical home or your family or your, you know, local life that should be making you angry or anxious. And really the, the reason is because you're spending way too much time on social media, on the internet, you're reading about, you know, things happening all over the world that are making you sad and angry and anxious. So I think if you pay attention to kind of the state of your, your mental health and there's kind of problems there, uh, whether it's anxiety or just anger, you, you just find yourself raging against everyone all the time. You know, the, the littlest thing will make you mad. A lot of that I think is coming from our unhealthy diet of, of information. So that would be one thing to, that I would say to pay attention to. Another one that I have been talking about a lot recently is if you find that you are unable to have unmediated time in your day, like you literally find it impossible to sit still without grabbing for your phone, whether it's like, you know, waiting at a coffee shop for a friend that you're about to meet. Like if you can't just sit there silently with your thoughts, maybe pray, I don't know. If you can't do that without grabbing for your phone and just aimlessly scrolling, that's a sign of addiction. That's a sign of unhealth. It's a sign that you've been conditioned to fill every open space in your life with internet content and with smartphone, you know, distractions. So I, I find that in my own life, if I'm honest, like that's a real warning sign that I'm often struggling with. Sometimes I'm driving and I'm like sitting at a stoplight and there's literally like only 30 seconds of a break before I, you know, the green light comes and I find myself always gravitating towards my phone in those 30 seconds. Like there's something I can do. There's something I can check. There's some sort of notification. And I just think that's like a really scary thing. Like if we can't like divest ourselves of our devices, even for 30 seconds, that's, that's a, a sign of addiction and unhealth. So those are just a couple a couple kind of warning signs I would raise. You know, and what's so hard about it for us is that the symptoms you're mentioning are praised as qualities to embody by a lot of times the forces pushing us to these devices. So outrage, perpetual outrage is seen as yeah. a virtue nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this idea of this warped idea, I'll say a very warped concept of productivity is also, I mean, like the hustle is, is always yep. being boosted to us at every yep. corner, everywhere we look, that, that that's what it means to be a really productive person is you're always doing something. You're always learning right. something. Right. Optimize every moment of your day, right? Whether yeah. you're <laughs> listening to a podcast as you drive or, you know, listening to an audio book as you're going for a jog. Yeah, I think you're right. There's this, there's this positive value of productivity and efficiency that I think especially Christians, like the whole Protestant work ethic thing, like yeah, I feel yeah. like we can be especially tempted to that. But as it relates to technology and just the digital devices that we have at our disposal, I really think it's a problematic tendency to, to want to like fill every single moment of our lives with some sort of thing on our, on our device. Like wisdom is found, I find, in the more silent moments of life when we actually create space to reflect and just think and just kind of connect the dots a little bit. 
and let our brains rest and let our souls kind of be still. It's the whole verse, be still and know that he is God, right? Like just, <laughs> we're not still enough in our digital distracted age to just be present with God and to be aware of who he is. And, and, and I think that's the beginning of wisdom, right? To be able to be close to God and to, to really listen to his voice and that we can get into some of that with the, the bottom levels of the wisdom pyramid, which I'm arguing are where we should be spending more of our time. But we can't do that if we're, you know, plugged in 24-7. This is kind of an offshoot to that question. What would you say to the Christian who's optimizing their time every moment with their, their device, but they're doing it in a Christian way? I mean, yeah, I'm pulling out my phone every 30 seconds, mm -hmm. but I'm checking the Gospel Coalition, or I'm yeah. looking at if Family Life has dropped any new podcasts, or I'm, yeah, I'm scrolling Facebook, but I'm mainly looking mm -hmm. for those verse posts with the nice, right. pretty pictures and things. Right. You know, is there, to what extent does the medium we're accessing and mm -hmm. the way it makes our brain works uh, compromised or redeemed um, yeah. by the content we are accessing? Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, you know, people have asked me similar questions because I work for the Gospel Coalition and I, I spend my life creating content, you know, <laughs> that people are um, pulling up on their phones, you know, to enjoy. So, of course, I believe there's a place for that. And, and I guess I would say, like, if you're going to spend any time on your devices or your phone, like using that time for edifying content that hopefully is more in the nutritious category than the junk food category. Like, yeah, I would definitely like argue that that's a better use of your, your time online. But at the same time, I, I do think that it's just as bad to be filling every moment of your life with good content as it is to be filling it with bad content in the sense that you're still eliminating that important category of open space, you know, of silence, like that is unwise, like to, to, to kind of not have any space left in your life to just be still and know and reflect and be at rest. Even if it means people are not reading every single good gospel coalition article, or they're missing out on some of the good Christian content that is available to us. And there's no shortage of great Christian content out there. But I do think it's it, it's better to forego some of that for the sake of carving out some space for reading the Bible without a device nearby or spending time in prayer, going to church. Like all of those things are way better for your wisdom than pretty much any like Gospel Coalition article or podcast would be. So it's okay if you supplement your diet with some of that stuff, but anyone who would like basically make the entirety of their diet online content even from a christian website that's not going to be a healthy thing for them something i thought was interesting earlier when you were describing the the top part of the pyramid you used the word least valuable and i think that was a new way of thinking for me i was originally just thinking we're talking about quantity here like the bottom of the pyramid you need the most and and as you go up further you need the least and and you're you're actually talking about quality here too and not just quantity 
it's yeah. the least valuable of all the options. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because this is one way that the wisdom pyramid is slightly different than the food pyramid. I think the food pyramid is more about like kind of, um, you know, have you have to have five to six helpings of the bread group and like four to six helpings of the vegetable group and so on and so forth. Like, I'm not suggesting that the wisdom pyramid should be like a mathematical equation of like, you have to break down your allocation of intakes, like 60% Bible, 30% church, whatever. I really am just talking about like the most trustworthy at the bottom to like the least trustworthy at the top, like mm. the most valuable and reliable at the bottom. And then going up, it becomes slightly, you know, less valuable or maybe potentially more hazardous. Hmm. Um, so the, the categories at the bottom of the wisdom pyramid, things like the Bible, the church, nature, I find to be more consistently helpful and um, nourishing for my soul and for wisdom. It's not that the upper categories like, you know, beauty or the internet and social media, it's not like they can never have something nutritious or helpful it's just that there's oftentimes more potential for um, toxins, if you will, like, like mixed in with the good stuff, there's a lot of bad stuff. And so you just have to be a bit more careful. It's a little bit less reliable at the top of the wisdom pyramid. You mentioned nature as a source of wisdom. And I just want to, and also you had said wisdom is often found in the silence. And the chapter on nature was such a cool chapter for me because I remember walking into it and I was thinking, what's this chapter going to be about? Obviously, mm -hmm. I'm not going to go out into the woods and count the rings of a tree and that's mm -hmm. going to give me wisdom on whether I should do this or do that. And mm -hmm. finally, when I got to the end of the chapter, it was a really cool realization for me because I think what you were saying is exactly this. Wisdom is found in the silence. Mm -hmm. And as I look back over all the major decisions I've ever made in my life, I've always I've gone out into the woods or I've fasted or I've just stepped away from everything. And, and so that was really cool for me to read that in a, in a chapter that says this isn't just random that you've been doing this and you should be mm -hmm. doing it more. Yeah, it's 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 not surprising that most humans, when they need to make like an important decision or if they need to really like wrestle with something, like a lot of times they'll like go on a walk or like, you know, go to the most beautiful place near their house and just sit there and contemplate. Like for me in California, like, you know, I'll go to the beach. If there's something really significant that I need to ponder, that's where I go. I don't like sit in front of my computer to do that important <laughs> you know, pondering. Like I go outside, I, I go and lay under my avocado tree in my backyard and I think there's something to that, right? Like it not only does nature quiet our busy minds, but I think it puts us in our proper place as, as creatures in the midst of God's creation. Like if, if foolishness is often a result of thinking or starting to think that we are God, that we are kind of the creator of reality and that it, it's within our power to kind of make reality whatever we want it to be, wisdom and this is a biblical concept, I think, wisdom is knowing that you are limited, right? You are a creature. God is God. You are not. 
And I think nature is one of the best reminders of that. You know, <laughs> if there's any question that you are not God and that you have limits, like just go try to hike Mount Everest, go try to like river raft on like a intense whitewater rafting trip. Like you are very quickly reminded that like God's creation is this big, mighty, majestic thing that reminds you of you are just one little part of his creation and you know, everything doesn't revolve around you. And I think that's like such an important reminder for our wisdom, especially in a world, you know, the digital world can start to make us think that the world does revolve around me, right? Like sure. I can make my social media feeds revolve around my own taste. I can curate my Spotify playlists and my Netflix cues and everything to basically revolve around me. So the digital age kind of tries to make us feel like God. And that's a recipe for foolishness. Nature reminds us we're not God. And that's one of the big reasons why it's so crucial for our wisdom. Even what you were saying about this, the social media and things, they're infrastructurally from the ground up, they're designed to gravitate around us and make us feel like we are that center and to encourage us to do all we can to make it more tailored to exactly individualistically us. And yeah. that's going to be something we're interacting with. And it's an inherent flaw. At least it's a framing that's going to leave a lot out of the picture that can otherwise contribute to our wisdom. But better or for worse, it's a space we're going to be in. And it's a space we're going to be in mm -hmm. a lot realistically these days, either because of our jobs, yeah. such as any of us who are on this talk right, right now. It's it's a part, right. a vital part of all of our, our work or whatever else, just, you know, relaxation, entertainment, whatever it happens to be, what would you give as some basic ground rules that Christians mm -hmm. could put in place when they're navigating their media intake to do so wisely? Yeah, I think the biggest like word that comes to mind is just intentionality versus passivity. I think that with regard to our usage of the internet and smartphones, it's so important that you're not just passive, that you're not just using it kind of in those in-between moments of life, like at a stoplight, you know, waiting at a coffee shop when you're just like, I'm going to open my phone and I don't have any reason to open my phone. I don't have anything I'm going to do. I'm just going to passively scroll. That is a recipe for disaster because it basically puts you at the mercy of the algorithm and like whatever the algorithm wants to feed to you, you know, which is usually something enticing that they know you'll like, that's what you're going to like be tempted to click on. So that's why we kind of go on these rabbit trails where we find ourselves opening our phone. And then an hour later, we're like, what am I doing here? How did I get here? Why am I still here? Mm -hmm. um, so I, in the book, I, I have a line where I say like, it's so important to be intentional. Go online with a purpose and only stay as long as you need to. So open your computer because there's a specific thing you need to Google. There's a specific article that has been recommended to you numerous times that you finally want to read. You know, open your smartphone because you have to like look up a restaurant that for some reason you need to look up but only stay online as long as you need to. Like the problems come when we're online for some reason, and then we see something out of the corner of our eye that looks interesting and we click on that. And then one thing leads to another and we click on something else. And so I think intentionality versus passivity is the key habit that I would recommend for beginning to be healthier with how we use digital technology. 
I think you said in the book, paraphrasing a little bit here, but that when you're online and you're not going somewhere, you'll go anywhere. Yeah. And the anywhere of the internet are rarely a good place to go. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And I think we've all been there, right? Like there's, there are some bad places on the, on the internet that you can eventually wind yourself to. We will follow that meandering path if we are passive. Intentionality can look like a lot of things. It can look like allocated time where you set a timer and you're like, I'm going to turn off my computer when my timer goes off, or I'm only going to check my email for a certain hour of the day. And then I'm going to turn off my computer and go read a book or go on a walk or read my Bible. I just think we have to be really intentional these days with kind of segmenting time and just focusing on the tasks at hand. Otherwise, we'll be so prone to wander, you know, online. And, and that too, in a world where, again, that's a virtue that the system discourages limiting yourself. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the algorithms hate intentionality. They, <laughs> they're banking, they're banking on all of us, like opening our phones with nothing in mind to do. So they, they're more than happy to fill our agenda for the day, you know, with what they want to feed us. But if all of us kind of become intentional and say, no, I'm not going to be at the mercy of the algorithm. I'm only going to do the thing in my mind that I need to do. That will be a, a way for all of us to resist and rebel against the forces of Silicon Valley trying to commandeer our attention. Mm -hmm. I think you had, you had uh, talked in your book about sort of the, the lost art of digesting what you read and taking the time after you've read something. There's so much information. We just read, 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 read. We never really take time to digest it and, and slow yeah. down. What's the value in, in the digestion period and the, the, the time of silence where you're just alone mm -hmm. with your thoughts? Yeah, it's so important. And it's, there's kind of a parallel with physical eating, right? Like the, for the same reason that like, it's unhealthy to like, eat super fast and then eat something else after that immediately, you know, without letting the food digest, like that will make you sick. And the same is true. I think of ideas and information. If we're constantly going so fast that we never let any inputs percolate and kind of uh, turn into um, nutrients that our body can absorb, then it's just kind of kind of go in one ear and go out the other. And we're just going to, our body's going to be exhausted for all the inputs that come in without allowing any of them to kind of um, just synthesize and turn into nutrients. So that's why silence is so important and, and having space in your, in your day and in your life to be still and be unmediated and to just let the dots connect a bit. So for me, just to kind of paint the picture of what this looks like in my own life, I drive a fair amount in Southern California. That's just a way of life. You're in your car a lot. Um, and so on any given day, I'm probably in my car for 30 to 60 minutes, taking my kids to childcare or whatever. And most people these days, I think, you know, turn on a podcast when they're in the car or an audiobook. They're trying to optimize that time, you know, with, with more content. And I've just made the personal decision to, to not have that. Like I let the car time be silent. 
Uh, now, sometimes my little boys in the back seat in their car seats, you know, will fill that time with <laughs> other things. But um, but when I'm alone in the car, it's kind of a sacred time for me because it's the only time in my day when I'm not in front of my computer. I don't have a device. There's no podcast. There's no input coming into my brain. And honestly, it's sometimes it's where I have my most fruitful thoughts. And when I, you know, I can think about like articles that I'm working on writing or just ideas that I'm wrestling with. And I think all of us should try to find time in our days like that, where you can just habitually carve out space to let things become nutrients that you absorb rather than that just kind of go right through you. The other part of the conversation is the content itself. It, it can be easy to think as Christians that if it's going to be valuable in some way, if we're going to glean wisdom or, or uh, cultivate our own wisdom from the content that we're taking in, it should be devotional content or it should be explicitly Christian in some way. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's value to that. I don't think any of us would disregard that. But uh, what other kind? What kind of value? What what ways can secular media, uh, stories, music, mm-hmm. movies, films, whatever? And, and of course, this is something you have a lot of experience with as a as a film yeah. critic and, and a culture reviewer. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of what kind of wisdom could we maybe seek to cultivate by our intake of those secular stories? And then maybe the other side of that is. How far can we let that go and and what should we not expect to be able to glean from those kind of works? That's a great question. Yeah. So the upper part of the wisdom pyramid is kind of what we're talking about. It's like books that may or may not be Christian, that could be secular and then beauty. So works of art, movies, music, TV shows, not necessarily Christian. So they're on the wisdom pyramid for a reason. Like I I honestly believe they can be good for our wisdom in in terms of helping us as Christians become wise. The the fact that they're at the top is just because we have to be more careful because they can also make us foolish if we're undiscerning and and haphazard in the way we consume them. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big advocate for the idea of common grace which is the idea that God, because he created mankind in his image, and even an atheist who doesn't acknowledge God is still created in the image of God and still carries that kind of ability to create beauty and to reveal truth, even if it's kind of done in a, a way that's not tied to faith or belief. So for that reason, I personally find so much truth and so much insight to be found when I'm watching a movie or a TV show that is made by secular people. But if, if it's made with a genuine honesty about the world and about um, humanity and about the beautiful world that we live in, then that can be edifying for Christians. Um, so much of what art is about is, is simply taking the world and putting it under the microscope, right? You know, examining it closer. And in some cases, like literally taking a lens of a camera and zooming in on the world. And that activity for Christians, it can be an opportunity for worship because anything that puts God's handiwork, his beautiful creation under the microscope, for us, it can be something that we can learn more about the world God made 
we can worship him because of it, because it's so beautiful and glorious. I mean, when I watch a movie or a documentary or just a really insightful TV show or something, like for me, it's, it's an opportunity to praise God for just the beauty and the complexity and just the mystery of the world that he made. And to me, it leads me to, to more actively pursue God and to, to want to know him more by curiously exploring the world that he made and the arts um, and media can help me do that at their best. You know, sometimes they can lead us to bad places, of course. And that gets to the, the second part of your question, which is like, what are the limits and the lines? And I think that I, for me, I would say like, if it gets to the point where it's, if it's clearly not leading you closer to God and it's not leading you to a place of worship, and instead, it's leading you either away from faith or it's making you worship creation itself more than you worship God. Like, that's when it's a problem. You kind of idolize the, the culture itself rather than seeing it as an opportunity to praise God and learn about Him. That's where we have to be careful with it, I think. In your chapter on books, you talk about reading books that challenge you or even books that you disagree with most of the content in there. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the value of reading uh, what you disagree with. And is it just limited to books or, or movies, media of all sorts? No, it's definitely not limited to books. I think that that principle applies to everything, really, like movies, TV, whatever you're taking in. If it's created by humans, it's probably going to have some aspects that are wrong because humans are fallible. So, um, and that's true of a Christian book, a Christian movie, or a secular book. Like, we shouldn't, just because something is Christian doesn't mean we should, like, take everything in it hook line and sinker as gospel truth like we need to be critical readers even of christian works so i'm really just advocating for the the ability to cultivate a mind that can entertain thoughts without accepting them right Mm -hmm. can listen to someone's argument but not necessarily like assent to it in every case So for me, there's nothing more exciting than to be able to like read a provocative, interesting book and recognize like, I don't agree with that. And I think they're wrong about that, but man, like they're right. They're right about this. And that's a really good point. And that's a really good insight that I'm going to, you know, take into my life and remember. And it's it's okay to do that. Right. We, We don't have to look at everything in these kind of all or nothing categories as, as if, you know, any book is 100% perfectly true or 100% perfectly wrong. Like most things are somewhere in between and we have to be able to um, critically discern what's helpful and what's not and what should be nutrition that we digest and what should be um, kind of the, the cud that we <laughs> spit out, you know, as we're, as we're eating it. I, I think redemptive is the word that could do the best way of describing what our role is in not only how we receive this, but in how we comment upon it and how we reflect back whatever light it has out into the world. It's gonna, mm-hmm. it's going to have that that Christ-tinted light when 
our take on whatever it is that we're receiving is reflected back into the world. And yeah. so I'm thankful for the work you do and for the work that others like yourself do who provide really critically thought through biblical mm. commentary upon the works our culture is putting out because it, it's going to get commented upon and it's it's yeah. going to get eyes out there. But what are we going to be saying about it? And, and what are mm -hmm. we going to offer other Christians, mm -hmm. uh, what are, what kind of perspective are we going to offer them when they go in and they see that movie or they read this new New York Times bestselling book? So yeah. to be absent from the dark entirely is only to yeah. take all the light out of the room. So thank you for, so for true. yeah being uh, redemptive in that way. I feel like that last <laughs> that last question itself could be an entire not just podcast <laughs> episode, but in the, mm -hmm. it's, I mean there are there are dozens of podcasts that can be dedicated to that. Solely. to that i know it's a it's a huge topic for yeah. sure there's a lot of nuances that we could get into about yeah what's when, when it becomes inappropriate for a christian to even watch something you know that's a whole that's a whole nother podcast episode yeah oh definitely <laughs> but one one would be great to have at some point um <laughs> well i don't think there's any better way to to wrap something up than coming to a redemptive perspective and and that's what we've what really our whole goal is to do even in the digital space. And you say this in your book that it's it's similar to the way Christians stayed in pandemic infected mm -hmm. regions of the ancient world. Uh, they, they stayed there instead of pulling out and letting the sick bury their own dead. Um, yeah. and, and the yeah. Christians stayed there to be a presence. So yeah, the internet, yeah, the digital media of all sort, they are, in a lot of ways, even inherently flawed. I mean, just the, the systems mm -hmm. that they're built on are addictive mm -hmm. and, and such by nature. Mm -hmm. But if we pull out entirely from that yeah. scene, it just becomes a place for darkness. So staying there yeah. to have redemptive work. Um, I mean, that that's 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 what we're called to do. Yeah, yeah, and 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 this is this is why I work, you know, for the Gospel Coalition, which is a website. So, yeah. so you, even as I'm, you know, writing books like the Wisdom Pyramid, which are largely about the dangers of the internet. I'm in in practice in my life. I'm I'm living on this idea that like Christians can't abandon the internet to be completely dark, right? <laughs> right? It's we live in the internet age for better or for worse and we're not going back. You can't put Pandora back in the box. So if that's the case, we as Christians can't just abandon it to be as bad as it could possibly be. We have to take the risk of being there and being present in that space, but trying to be sources of light and redemption and truth in that space without being compromised by it. So that's kind of the tension that I live in and anyone, you know, like yourselves who work in kind of media and the trick is being a source of redemption and light while also being very, um, aware and honest about the fact that this environment has inherent qualities that could make me sick. You know, just like um, Kent Brantley, the doctor who went to West Africa during the Ebola outbreak, you know, he was there trying to bring healing to the sick, but he ended up getting the sickness himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was a very, you know, life-threatening situation for him. And I think, but that's always the risk, right? That's always the risk of Christians being in the world, but not of it, you know, 
we our mission calls us to not leave to be present to be there but we have to be careful to not be so changed by the world that we lose our saltiness uh, in the process so i think that's going to be the challenge for christians in the digital age is how can we live as faithful followers of jesus in this very hazardous digital environment in a way where we're bringing more light to the environment than we are having our light dampened by the darkness of the environment. Thank you so much for being part of this this talk today, Brett. Thank you so much. It was really enjoyable. If somebody also is like I would be wanting to know where they can hear more from you, what are some links? What are some places people can follow you or find out more? Yeah, um, I have a website. I don't update it very often. It's brettmccracken.com, but you can find out more about my books um, and some of my other writing there. And then the Gospel Coalition is really kind of the main place where on a weekly basis, pretty much. I'm writing new articles, movie reviews, things like that. So you can check out my, my stuff there. Thank you so much, Brett. Thank you for joining us for If That Makes Sense, the family life podcast about what life is really like as a young adult following Jesus. If you enjoy the show, please send it to a friend. Your genuine appreciation of the show is the best way for word to get out. And it would make our day if you left us a rating and a review wherever you found this episode. Family Life has more great original podcasts that you can check out at familylife.org slash podcast. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you along for the next one. Thank you.